Hi, and welcome to Showcast, the podcast that explores the creative journey of concerts, films, theatre shows, and public art made with Notch. Join me, Kat Kemsley, as we hear from the people behind the pixels. Today, I'm speaking with XR Studios Chief Technology Officer, Scott Miller, and Chief Creative Officer, JT Rooney. Scott and JT have been behind some of the largest, most innovative live productions on the planet. They've been at the forefront of virtual production workflows for live events, and in March last year, they launched XR Studios. In this episode, Scott and JT share their extensive experience in the world of live production and advise how you can craft your own inspiring virtual world. You're listening to The Notch Showcast. Hi, Scott. Hi, JT. Welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Hello. Thanks for having us. Well, it's great to have you here today. There's so much to talk about, and it's kind of hard to know where to start. You guys have worked on tons of projects and have pioneered Notch workflows in so many different ways. And in March last year, you launched your virtual production ready space, XR Studios, which I'd love to find out more about. But first, Scott, I'm kind of curious to find out a bit about your life before you became an XR superstar. Mm-hmm. So you studied a degree in the field of mechanical engineering, and then you went into the marine sector, holding various roles, including sailing crew, salesman, production manager, software developer. So tell me a bit more about the marine sector because this is quite rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a rogue one. Yeah, so I, I studied engineering at uni and I ended up actually yeah getting back into sailing in a big way and and was a professional sailor for quite a few years and was on various squads and teams and all over the place and again the same theme of technology was always in there, boat systems and whatnot. But mm. I eventually I left that world and ended up in London building trading floors which mm. although sounds very different from this world was actually just a huge number of PCs and networks and AV and everything else that's required to make a, a trading floor work. I did that for two or three years until I was finally fired out of that industry. And my last job in that industry, I was, I was politely told to pack my stuff and leave because there's not much uh, innovation, shall we say, in construction. So getting fired from that job was the best thing that ever happened to me because uh, nice. through my contacts in the kind of office fit-out world, there was an AV contractor who introduced me to my first boss in this world, which was uh, Tom Birch at Projection Artworks. And eventually that worked out with me starting work at Pixel Artworks um, as a project manager, helping develop a cloud-based projection. We built a projection mapping system in Chrome. And yeah, that was that was kind of my step into the industry. And then from there, I just threw myself at the world of AV, which then fell into the broadcast side of things with white light. Mm-hmm. And that bled into XR. And then here we are today. And, and yeah, I, I would not, I wouldn't want to call myself a superstar. So that's a bit much. I just, I just plug the HDMI cables in and hope for the best. <laughs> but you are a superstar. You've worked on some amazing shows. You've got a huge list of credits. Was there a particular event that got you really interested in the live events industry? Or was there a live show that you saw that you were like, yeah, I want to make that happen? Projection Artworks was an incredible company. I mean, I I struck absolute gold when I joined Projection Artworks. They were doing some of the world's biggest projections and just this opportunity to engineer these crazy systems and make these amazing experiences. I've always been, my background was very much 
interactivity as opposed to when you hear from JT, his background is was in the big live events. Mm-hmm. But yeah, slowly uh, working through the industry and you know going to some of these big live shows opened up my eyes to that side of things. And I've dabbled more and more in that world. We did the Marco Passato show where we mixed AR into live events. And so the really interesting conversations that I've been having now is as we kind of see the end of the light. So as we see the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. <laughs> Hopefully uh, not the end of the light. <laughs> we're not the end of the light. God, it feels like that. Some days it does. No. As we see the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, um, much better. Okay. It's going to be really exciting to take all the experience and lessons that we've learned and all the, the knowledge mm. that we've picked up in this broadcast XR and working out how we can translate that. Awesome. So just to summarize, since leaving Projection Artworks, you were then providing everything from consultancy through to full production, working as an engineer and a design technologist in live events, TV, film, install and interactive projects. Um, and then you met JT. So how did you and JT meet? I'm trying to think whether it's the first. I think we met at LDI technically the first time, I'm sure. Yeah, I think we were introduced to LDI. Was it love uh, at first sight? I mean, of course. Have you seen that hair? <laughs> it must have been 2018 we met because it was 2019 when we were at NotchCon and JT kind of pulled me to one side and was like, we might have this little show in February you might know of called the Super Bowl. And they want to do an AR piece. And I think in between doing our talks at NotchCon, we kind of worked out mm-hmm. how we might do it designed it, put a price in for it, and kind of sold that job within that weekend. That's when the relationship kind of started. I'd been doing some stuff through my previous company, Build, and we'd been working with um, Smasher, PRG, and there was a bit of a world kind of forming of, of knowledge and, and ideas in this world of AR and how we can use Notch with it. And that's kind of, that was the, that to me was the kind of real starting point. Yeah, I think so. That sounds about right. And I think it's back into the early days of notch which i'd love to chat about a bit considering it's you know notch showcast but like <laughs> yeah there was a really nice thing you know starting to talk to everyone when there were you know 20 of us around the world doing this to then 200 to then 2000 or you know whatever the numbers are it was, it was right at that nice sort of swell and it was a really fun time to get to know people that you've seen on the forum or on facebook groups or whatever and chatting back and forth and yeah it was a, it was a cool time and then yeah we just kind of took it from there and JT, before we start talking about XR Studios and the brilliant stuff that you guys have brought together, let's try and dig up a few of your skeletons from the past. <laughs> <laughs> so sure. you studied electronic media at University of Cincinnati, after which you got a few gigs as a freelance videographer before joining the New World Symphony Concert Hall, creating immersive visuals for concerts. And while you were there, you were programming a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, was this something that you picked up on the job? You know, how did you get into programming? The the school in Cincinnati was actually a conservatory of music. And so there was a nice department there that was called Electronic Media. Now it's called Media Production, I think. And the cool thing about it is that it was in a conservatory of music. So we were able to collaborate and work with people on the, you know, opera performance side or musical theater or, you know, theater design and production. They have a really strong program for you can get your master's in like wigs and makeup design and stuff like that there. It's very specific. So through that, I was able to go to opera festivals in Italy each summer with the school and do projections there, do video documentation, that sort of stuff. And while I was there, I met an Italian stagehand named Lorenzo, who gave me an insider scoop about a job opening in Miami. 
And I was originally going to move to LA right after school to go, you know, be in the film and TV industry and stuff like that. And instead I, uh, flew back from Italy, got on my car and drove South. So I spent the next two to three years there. And, um, New World Symphony was built for pushing technology for live and classical music. So it had a 360 surround projection system built in. And uh, yeah, I was using Coolux at the time and all these other tools to to really start pushing, you know, what could happen. And it was a great way to learn because it was a small four person video team. Doing a bit of everything then getting hands on. It sounds fun. Yeah, it's a really it's an amazing place. I mean, they're, they're still there doing really great stuff. From there, I was luckily a friend of mine called and offered me a job up in uh, Cincinnati at a company called Lightborn Communications, mm-hmm. which is a VFX house and a production company. And I was actually hired back there to just be a normal producer for shoe commercials and stuff like that. But um, quickly found out that there was a tour visuals department there. You know, within that moment, there was a funny week period of, hey, there's a project coming in to project on a car. JT, maybe you've done some of that before. So they flew me to New York. I did basic training for D3 for three days and then did the advanced training the next two days and then flew to the gig. And that was the projection mapping project with the McLaren P1. So it was definitely full immersion right away. And then it was like a two week break. And then we went and did um, Kanye West's music store after that. And it was, it was, it was just, you know, one thing after another. And so I was very fortunate mm-hmm. Ben Nicholson, who was there at the time, really just like put a lot of trust and was like, all right, you want to do this? Let's go do this. And it was kind of off to the races. So very quickly got immersed into some of the largest shows in the world. Cool. And I did find out that slightly before you joined Lightborn, that in 2010, you also wrote and produced a film. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, which was about a musician who's forced to decide where his true identity comes from, music or his own inner passion. Um <laughs> So, which, you know, it was quite fun to find that. Unfortunately, I didn't actually get to watch the film. It's not mm-hmm. on YouTube. But um, yeah, what kind of inspired you to write that story? <laughs> You're really missing out. Uh, college college work is everyone's <laughs> proudest moment. So good find. Um, it's actually a funny story about that because I, you know, when you're a kid, you, you write stuff or do things based off of what you know a little bit. And I um, that was my path originally for university. I was going to go to school for... Um, music performance and jazz drumming and composition and stuff like that. Mm. And um, I'm deaf in one of my ears and that turned out to be more of a problem than I thought it would. And then I developed carpal tunnel pretty badly. So I had to stop the music performance Mm. side. So that kind of actually informed that story. And it was, you know, it was a silly college film. The funny thing is, is that the plot is almost identical to that uh, Sound of Metal music movie Mm. that just came out. (laughs) So um, it was uh, kind of interesting to see that. But yeah, nice find. Brilliant. Talking about jumping into all these big shows kind of right off the back of learning how to program and then being thrown into massive corporate projection mapping projects and like Kanye West's tour. Was there a particular gig that really set the trajectory of your career? You know, Lightborn had this amazing sort of rise at that exact moment. It was really serendipitous and they got involved on lots of big projects. And part of that was because Mm -hmm. they started working a lot with Baz Halpin there's a company called Soundhouse Productions and he's um you know show director and producer and known as you know one of the head leaders and directors for you know really big pop shows and one of those shows and clients of his was was Katy Perry and so mm-hmm. um we got to work on her tour which is called the Prismatic tour and then that led to doing the Super Bowl with Katy Perry and so 
that really was a big pinnacle moment of like, you know, doing a 80 projector show and a half time was, was intense. So yeah, so I got to know Baz really well during that. And I kind of found and met a lot of other people in the industry during that. So after the halftime show, I, I left Lightborn and um, went freelance for a while. And that was really great. Got to meet a bunch of people that way. And then on a Taylor Swift's 1989 tour, when I was working on that, I got to meet the folks at Silent Partners Studio. I ended up um, going and working with them. So I've been with Silent Partners for, I think, five years now. And um, mm-hmm. that's been an incredible journey. They have an office in Montreal, and I sort of head up the LA office. Cool. So I feel like we skimmed through both of your back catalogue of credits. If we were to go through all of them, we would literally be here all day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But to summarize, you guys have made a shit ton of shows in a short period of time. And even more so, you've both been at the forefront of virtual production technologies in the live event space. And you kind of mentioned Katy Perry being a pivotal moment in your uh, live events production world. But, you know, I know that that show was also a big part of the virtual production journey. So I'd like to know what first got you interested in virtual production? Was it something specific you saw or just a conversation that you might have had with someone? For me, it started actually on Katy Perry's Super Bowl. There's a big projected set and uh, there's a moment in it where we went to a locked off camera. So with the perspective gag, it looked like people were walking across these checkerboard pieces. Mm. But we had actually gone down a path in rehearsals, talking with Hamish Hamilton and team about, well, what if we, every time we cut the camera, we change the perspective of the content and render it out a different way so that it looks correct on the floor. And we started to do some really very crude things quickly and we ended up abandoning it a bit, which is a really, really good choice. So that sort of idea had started there about like, how do we connect people's perspective to the broadcast feed? And once we started to see what actually Matt and the guys at Notch were doing, I was really starting to get interested in it. So I had been pitching XR for a couple of years, like as Scott was doing those other gigs, I was like showing those to clients, like, oh, we should do this, oh, we should do this. And there were a couple of moments we got really close and the pandemic really pushed through virtual production and XR because there is the idea that you can have a smaller crew on site and you're not in a mm. location and stuff like that. So it seemed like a very good pandemic friendly medium, which it is for sure. And it was the Katie shoot was probably had nine people there. It was very small, but uh, you know, we do productions now with 80 people sometimes. So it's not necessarily mm. always the case, but it really helped the idea get through there. Um, Katy Perry is a great example because of that relationship with her. She has just a huge amount of trust, mm-hmm. um, which is very fortunate. And so she actually approached us during the pandemic, uh, Baz helping and myself of like, Hey, I have a new song coming out, a new album coming out. She was already working on a really beautiful music video. And uh, that was very hand-drawn and sort of animated looking. She's like, I want to do a bunch of performances during the pandemic that look like I'm inside this world. And we were Mm -hmm. talking about cardboard cutouts and scenic pieces and all this other stuff. Like, how can we do this? And then, you know, we are like, this is the chance to do this thing that, you know, Baz and I have been looking for an opportunity to use it. So there's a very quick whirlwind of, hey, I think this is the time to actually use this tech. Let's do it. The cool thing about that performance is that a lot of XR had been happening, a lot of AR had been happening, um, and that really laid a lot of groundwork for it. But for this to be on a broadcast network and seen by however many millions of people at home really just mm-hmm. really just lit the fire, I think, on something that was kind of brewing in the background for a long time. Yeah, and Scott, what got you interested in virtual production? Yeah, I've got Andy Hook to thank for kind of introducing me to this, to the world of broadcast. And obviously the people have been using AR and broadcast for a long time. And I I really liked the the idea of what could be done with it and how we could Mm -hmm. 
add these virtual elements and these graphics and everything into a TV show. And it worked really well in, in Eurosport and the Olympics. And that all led into us when we came back from Pyeongchang, we partnered with um, CT to do a, a quick overview of all the tricks that can be done with it with AR, mm. be it tracking or perspective parallax things. It got me going, it's lots of systems, it's lots of stuff interacting. You've got black tracks and camera tracking and notch and all these other things that have to come together to make it work. And that's kind mm-hmm. of, that's what I, what I enjoy is bringing all those systems together. What keeps you guys coming back to XR? Obviously, it's exciting. It's new. There's a lot to learn. As I always describe to people, I'm an engineer for creatives. I'm definitely not a creative. I cannot tell you which two colors go well together. I leave that up to JT and his motley crew of of designers. (laughs) My job is like, right, you want to do this thing. Cool. That sounds interesting. Here's all the kit that you need to do it. Mm -hmm. And it has, for me personally, been one of the most enjoyable learning experiences because there are so many parts to the puzzle Mm. and none of it works without the other parts. There is no one system or thing that makes virtual production work. There is only a collection of companies and software and hardware and people and knowledge. And it's been really interesting, just some of the rabbit holes that you have to dive into to make all of this work yeah yeah and, and then it, it, it changes overnight or someone else brings out a new thing or yeah and it, it's a very very cool. fast-paced world and i just my, my dream is obviously you know ready player one that's the movie <laughs> that, that nice that, yeah you know <laughs> because scott was just mentioning you know xr is this whole world with a lot of different parts and aspects and humans and things and different types of xr and mr and ar and vr and it's a little bit exhausting to talk about as soon as we start adding more things into this world, uh, it becomes apparent that you need to have sort of more and more groups involved in production, specifically focusing on certain aspects of it as it's complicated. You know, on a giant tour, you have Tate building a stage and then there's a lighting company and then PixMob is doing bracelets and then someone else is doing AR and someone else is doing content. You know, there's, there's a lot of humans and people. And so after uh, doing some of these and doing some, you know, spec work for some of these, it became very clear that there was a, a need for something in someone in between an equipment vendor and production mm. partner and a creative studio. And so that, that's been kind of our theory on this and whether it's right or not, we'll see <laughs> in the end of time. But uh, XR Studios was created to sort of help be a creative agnostic, you know, production partner that I don't want to say is, is turnkey, but is a, is a full service provider that you go to a space, it's calibrated, it's ready to go. The equipment works and functions how it's supposed to. And mm. you go in and then you start attacking the really difficult part of all this, which is the creative. What you don't want to be doing is spending all of your time on a production saying, oh, shoot, do the, do the cameras work today? Or, hey, it's, something's mm. upside down or something's jittery. So we have this sort of group of people that we've created that is solely around just to make that process easier and better so that we can achieve better products. And it's been a huge thing for us to be, like I was saying, creative agnostic. So when we did the, the mm. Billie Eilish performance, for example, that was Moment Factory's project. They're a great creative company in Montreal. They do amazing shows. They knew they wanted to do XR and they approached XR Studios to say, hey, can you help us like take this to the finish line? And we kind of walked hand in hand and it was a really nice collaboration. And we've done that with a bunch of other studios as well. And so that's kind of the dream is creating something that 
is a little bit more standard and production ready. And so that it's not a super painful science project every time. It's just a painful creative process, but that's the fun part. Scott, I remember one of your, you mentioned NotchCon, but I rewatched your Mm -hmm. NotchCon talk the other day and the talk's called Mapping Out Notch and AR Production Elements. And in it, you said that XR will work anywhere, but it won't be easy everywhere. Are you able to talk about some of the time and monetary costs? associated when you've had to build an XR stage from scratch for a specific production. It's funny looking back at that talk now <laughs> in uh, all those all those many years ago, well, it feels like many years ago, and obviously what's happened since then. Um, getting every single box ticked on the checklist before you can even, you know, look at something on screen. It's a whole new world for people to get into. From the idea mm-hmm. that you have to cover your ceiling in little small reflective dots before a show mm. and then you get your physical stage built and all of a sudden now you're having to say to your led guys this has to be perfect right and they kind of look at you go yeah we, we always build our stages perfect you know this has to be a hundred percent straight and a hundred percent accurate and so all of a sudden now an led wall build that took one day takes two days because the extra level of measurement and accuracy that was quite required has, has stepped up and mm. this just follows on through each stage of the process so when a jib's getting built now that jib has to be built perfectly the first time because once we do our calibration and we put our tracking system on it mm. the guys can't just go back and adjust this bracket a little bit because we've done our calibration we've lined everything up if the lens on the camera gets knocked all our calibrations go out the window color if the camera's coloring isn't dialed in at the start correctly to readjust it can take you know five hours and you've got a crew Mm -hmm. of 80 people you turn around to your production manager and say hey we've got to make this the education across the board of what is this new thing here's the possibilities of what this new thing can do mm-hmm. amazing worlds virtual productions Katy perry in her animated house in real time able to see where the edge of her, the world is like those you can do really incredible things and every time there's always a moment in every show when the penny drops and everyone really gets it but trying to to set these new stages up and go through all of that it has been challenging it's been Mm. extraordinarily stressful it's been a a massively rewarding year jumping into this world of virtual production and we are just dipping our toes in the water that's the that's the crazy bit like we're only getting started but i think it's one of the big things we're doing is just making sure we educate people there is no such thing as perfect xr we are not rendering photorealistic, regardless of what render engine you use, we are not rendering photorealistic scenes at 29 frames a second. That that world doesn't exist yet. My favorite phrase is make it interesting over trying to make it real. So yeah, it, it's been an interesting road for sure. And it's definitely had its challenges. Mm. And yeah, we've only been doing this for a year. and We've come a long way. And yeah, I'm excited to see where this all goes when live events do come back. Yeah, I'd love to talk about the stages. So you guys launched XR Studios last year. You've got two permanent stages there, which are virtual production ready. If I came to XR Studios as a new client saying, look, I want to create a virtual production to promote my cat food brand slash Mm -hmm. band, which is named cat food, um, my my cat food image. And I've seen some cool stuff that you've made for Twitch, but I don't understand the process at all. What would be the next steps to, you know, making my production dream a reality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely always based off of the end goal and the creative. 
And I think the interesting thing right now is that a lot of people struggle to find out what their um, parameters are for that. When you do a show, there's limitations of like physics and gravity and cost and building trusts and rigging and stuff like that. And so it's actually been a hard year for a lot of people to figure out creatively what they want to do in virtual production because it is abstract and it's confusing and hard to talk about. So um, the more visual things that we can share is usually the most helpful. The best thing about what we're doing, though, is that in virtual production, it's you know using a tool like Noctis that it's a 3D render in virtual space anyways. So using Notch as a previous tool, for example, is just so extremely valuable. Like it, it, It's not that far from the real world when you go to do the actual shoot. So we really focus a lot on pre-visualization and pre-planning just inside of Notch directly, and it's super valuable. What do you feel is unique to creating a virtual production? It's a little bit like what I was mentioning a moment ago about there's not as many limitations um, mm. from a you know early idea conversation. Like, do I want to be on Mars or do I want to be underwater or do I want to be on the edge of a cliff or like all that sort of stuff? That is all of a sudden open territory where a lot of times it hasn't been. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of whiplash because at the very beginning of a creative process, you know, there's a million options. You can do whatever you want. It's great. And then as soon as you get into production, there's a million limitations <laughs> because of the technology. Mm-hmm. It's this very funny back and forth, I think, creatively for people of like, oh, you could do anything. Oh, but not that and not that and not that. And you have to do that this way. So the, the challenge becomes, can we guide people? And this is a lot of what my time is spent of like therapy with people of like, mm-hmm. let's not focus on what it can't do, but what it can do and how how can you push us further? And that's we always call back to it that the Katy Perry thing was so great because it was about what you can do with it and how can we transform things and be a little bit fantastical. I love the the use of the technology to do things that you couldn't normally do. But yeah, it's it's a challenge, but it's a very exciting time to talk to people creatively because you're surprised every day with a new idea you would have never thought about. You know, what's one invaluable tip you've learned for putting together a successful virtual production? So the single biggest tip is just managing expectations. The English language is not great for describing these concepts. You can have a client or someone who wants to do this and you're like, yeah, we can build you a world that you can put someone in. And they could take that as thinking, oh, I can get movie level film VFX in real time on the stage. Wow, that sounds incredible. Cool. I'm down for this. And then you get Mm -hmm. on the stage and you put your content up and they're like, hang on a second, this this isn't what I thought it would be. And that's mm. the most dangerous part of all of this world is managing expectations, being honest with the client. And this is cool new technology and we can do cool things with it, but just stay within these boundaries. Here's some information. Here's some demos. Here's, some, here's stuff that we've done already. This is the world that we work in. If you're happy to work in this world and do some cool things, we'll have an amazing show. If not, then everyone is just going to be upset and and with all emerging technology all of us as an industry have to have to you know we have there's a level of working together to make sure that we are all offering the same product and the same Mm. result and managing our expectations of all our clients equally and jt what would you say your invaluable tip would be uh i'd say similar yeah managing expectations Mm -hmm. is good i always tell people like come on board the spaceship right like this is here we are like this is the crazy thing it's going to be a little bit rickety and bumpy in some places but you're going to go to mars like that's cool so focus on that versus you know the one thing that's kind of not so perfect 
from uh, thinking more to the community that might be listening to this from a notch perspective or a creative content perspective is pre-visualization like I was talking about earlier is such an important thing that um, is needed for normal shows as well as virtual production. And so you have these tools that you can plan and create a bunch of things. You can create these powerful moments. You should use them to make sure you're ready for that and have options. You know, we're doing uh, real-time rendering, not real-time design. And this goes back Mm -hmm. to my soapbox speeches at NotchCon or whatever, but it's true. Like, I think, you know, the the expectation of design and thought doesn't change when you have real-time rendering. It just enables more iteration and faster speeds. You can get to new things, but you still need to think about why you're doing something and what's best for it. And so I think um, using Previs is a really great tool to allow you to get through those processes and communicate with your client or your artist and, or yourselves. And like, what do we want to do? What do we want this to look like? So that when you get on site, you can definitely riff and iterate and change things and come up with new things mm-hmm. and stumble onto those accidents. But you know, the amount of time that you would normally do in post-production is still there. It's just happening at the beginning now. So the, just the pain factor has been moved to a different place. So <laughs> I think, yeah, pre-planning and pre-visualization is a huge recommendation for anything virtual. And harking back to your NotchCon talk, Scott, uh, you kind of closed with the future is whatever we want to make it. Looking at virtual production and XR, you know, what do you kind of see as the future of this technology and, and workflow? God, was, I, was, I that, was I really that cheesy? Wow. Oh, that, that, that hasn't changed that's for sure what's the future of this workflow i i don't i, don't, I honestly don't really know the answer it's a really it's a hard one to struggle because there are so many paths that we can go down you know do we end mm. up in these crazy ready player one worlds what does ai do to all of this well what does ai do to content generation full stop um there's a huge world of of how content is created these days you know it, mm. it, it's kind of scary not scary it's kind of exciting to think <laughs> where where it's all going to go as i say to me in the, in the short term i still dream of the day that everyone is at a concert with old school 3d glasses on and mm. all of a sudden they can see a 3d ar around them you know we're still a long way off the hololens all of those technologies are are getting there but we're still a way off XR as fundamental is augmenting reality. To me, that's the real exciting bit. The, the question of what's next and what's new is really interesting to me because the whole industry all at once is kind of on the same bleeding edge, which is kind of fun. My sort of path with the XR Studios thing or the whole goal is like we want to create a workflow that is as standardized and production ready as possible so that it can be professionally used in a lot of different ways. All these things, they're just tools and so you put them together for what you need and what you want to do there's quite a lot of projects that i tell people not to use xr for because it's not the right solution for what they want to do so it's uh yeah i'm excited to see where it will go but i think it'll just continue to kind of ebb and flow and change cool what advice would you give to someone looking to enter the world of live events i think the the biggest thing is you know find your find your niche find the thing that you're interested in be that creative or the tech side or camera or like find your niche and make that but with especially with virtual production don't be blinkered to all these other systems that are running alongside it as we have discussed it requires so many different systems to work and so making sure that you keep a really wide breadth of knowledge of what's going on around that kind of niche core thing that you're doing is going to be key because there, yeah, it just takes so much so much to make these work and the more people that have more of an idea of the whole system 
the quicker we can drive all of this forward rather than having all these individual silos of rules and responsibilities. It's an interesting question. Like if you want to get into a more specific part of the industry, or if you just want to get into the industry as a whole, there's probably some differences there. It seems like a lot of people we talked to in the industry, I weren't really planning to be here. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of like trip into it and then you wake up like 20 years later and you're like, oh, that was a wild ride, you know? <laughs> and I've been talking to a lot of people this year during the pandemic, especially a lot of people who tour and who go on the road and stuff like that, or even have done that for 10 years straight or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a very fast paced industry and there's a lot happening and it's, it's very crazy and hectic, but people kind of love that and like find their peace in the craziness of it. But, um, once people stopped for the pandemic, a lot of people for the first time were kind of like, hold on, do I want to do this? I don't know. Like they were just, you know, you've never stopped and thought about it. So I think there's something worth saying about live entertainment is that it's a wonderful place. It's a really good community. People really are close. And that's one of my favorite parts about it. It's we work with all of our friends and like, it's a really good place to work, but it's hard, you know, and it's a very life consuming thing. And there's a lot of long hours. There's a lot of sort of unexpected hiccups and craziness and surprises and um, that can be challenging on your personal life. But um, I think if you truly like it and you truly feel like it's something that brings you joy, like you should, you should do it. And so I think when I talk with either students who are getting into it or new people that I'm bringing in who come from another background, there's always a, a good, I don't want to say trial period, but like, yeah, dip your toes in a little bit and kind of see what's happening to see if this is something you really like, because if you like it, you're going to be so clear in your mind, this is something you want to do. But if, if not, like, that's totally fine. It's just worth knowing that. So I think proper advice to someone who's looking to get into it is to join any sort of community-based thing you can. There's a really great new thing called Framework that a lot of people mm-hmm. are getting into, but um, there's Facebook groups and Discord chats and conventions You know, later this year and conferences that will come back and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's a very interesting community of people that you can just ask for help and people will usually give it in some way. So speak up and, and find your niche, I think. Awesome. Okay. I think that's about time. Thank you both so much for taking some time out of your busy schedules to have a chat with me today and share your abundance of experience and knowledge about everything, really. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for having us, Ken. Yeah, thank, thanks. For, good, good chatty cat. Thank you very much for having us. Well, yeah, it's been a blast, guys. I look forward to speaking again soon. Cheers. Us too. Bye. Bye bye. You can check out more from XR Studios by heading over to their website www.xrstudios.live or by following them on Instagram and Facebook at xrstudios.live. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, let us know on Twitter or Facebook at NotchVFX. And don't forget, if you'd like your work featured on our Instagram feed at NotchVFX, use the hashtag MadeOfNotch. Next week, I'm joined by co-founder and director of technical workflows at Dandelion and Burdock, Nils Porman. Join us as we discuss managing client expectations, as well as the budget, time and labour considerations you need to make if you're pitching a virtual production. Today's episode was mastered by Tor Oynas and produced by Ben Stams and myself, Kat Kemsley. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>